a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. In this podcast, every week we choose something that is unfolding somewhere in the world. It could be of political nature uh, or just of interest to you guys. But Dr. Keith, he is the man in terms of breaking down international relations, international politics, and making it very easy to understand. That's what we tr- strive to do with this podcast. My name's Kate Mack. We've been working together for a number of years now, Dr. Keith. I've been producing you. Anyway, let's get on with this one because human rights is a big issue for a lot of people. And it has unraveled since COVID, Keith. Absolutely. So this is um, an article from the Sufain Centre, which is the security centre in the United States. And it's uh, saying that the US State Department is talking about a decline in uh, human rights. Now, that's been a trend exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic but also because there are other general issues as well that's been caught up to this. So by way of a bit of history, um, this document, which the US State Department publishes each year, is a very important document because they have diplomats in most countries around the world and they are obliged to report back on a regular basis about human rights and they have an editorial team in Washington, D.C. So it's a requirement that they produce this report each year And it's used by other governments as well. It's in the public domain. It's not a secret document. For example, in Australia, when a person applies for refugee status, one of the ways in which an Australian immigration official can assess the seriousness of the claimant's case is by reading this document. So it reviews 198 countries and territories. So that's virtually every square inch of the earth uh, in terms of land mass. And so from an Australian immigration official point of view, they just rely on what the Americans are doing, plus other source information. So it's a very important document, for good or ill, very important document. Now, what is interesting is the idea of compiling a survey of human rights of other governments is a comparatively new idea. So before World War II, you never got involved in the internal affairs of another country. Unless, of course, you're an imperial power, then you had the right to control your colonies. But to take the standard example, Hitler came to power in 1933 and started violating human rights pretty well as soon as he arrived in office in Berlin. And, of course, he was driven out of office and killed in 1945. The war crimes trials that took place after World War II only looked at what Germany did between 1939 and 1945. It did not look at what was happening in peacetime Germany between 1933 and 1939 because that was an internal affair. So governments did not comment on what was going on. So in that period of the 1930s, we had a number of people, including here in Australia, who were pressing the government to complain about what the Germans were doing, particularly with the treatment of the Jews, And the governments were saying, no, we don't do internal affairs of other countries. So World War II shattered that complacency. And so the idea was that a government that violates human rights at home ultimately will violate human rights overseas, which is what went on with Hitler. So the governments learned the hard way that they have to be monitoring human rights issues in other societies. And so we then get after 1945, 
1948 Declaration of Human Rights. We get a, a whole network of treaties that have now been um, issued around the world, both by the UN but also regional bodies as well, like the Council of Europe. So there's a whole variety now of human rights documents. So it's a completely different world today than it would have been 100 years ago, which offers us a bit of hope that improvements can be made to international politics. You know, we often get so gloomy about the state of the world, but this has been one area where some progress has been made. However, this uh, latest version of the State Department, which was published on March the 30th, has said um, that, in fact, there seems to be a decline in respect for human rights. So what we're seeing, therefore, is that places uh, like Russia, Uganda, Venezuela, Belarus, Ethiopia's Tigray region, which is the uh, northeast corner of Africa, um, China's human rights, particularly with the Uyghurs and the issue of genocide, these are a whole series of, of trend lines going down, showing that, in fact, things are actually getting worse for those countries. So although the overall trend is towards greater respect for human rights, that's the good news. The bad news is that you always have to be monitoring what is going on. You can never reach a point where you can just go onto a plateau and say, right, that's it, we've achieved everything, because there's always a risk the people will start to slide back down. And so that's the value for me of looking at this huge report, which, as I say, comes out each year. It's available free of charge on the US State Department website, and you can look to see what they have to say about various countries. I should have checked to see what they've got to say about Australia. One of the arguments about this report is the Americans are much harder on their enemies than their allies. So it'll be interesting to see if they're commenting upon, for example, Aboriginal deaths in custody. America has the largest prison population in the world, even bigger than China. But when it comes to black deaths in custody, Australia has a higher proportionate rate than the United States. So the Americans get the blame for the black deaths in prison. But when you look at it on a proportional basis, Australia is actually worse than the United States. And we, but we fly under the radar screen. And we <laughs> did a, a whole royal commission into it. Yeah, and we held a Royal Commission to it. And, of course, most recently there's been a report that really we're a long way behind in what ought to be achieved after 30-odd years. So, as I say, it's a constant struggle to have protection and you can get governments who move back. For example, the Trump administration does not deal with the issue of reproductive health, did not deal with the issue of reproductive health. So, because that, that involves issues like contraception. and President Trump wanted to keep in suite with conservative Christians who are opposed to contraception and abortion. And so that part of the report, the chapter surveying reproductive health, simply disappeared for the four years of the Trump administration. You're joking. Yeah. So is that classified a human rights abuse? Yeah. Well, it would have been. You know, it's a human rights issue, reproductive health. Health mm. is a, you know, is a human right. I should also perhaps emphasise that, you know, the expanding nature of human rights this is also a sign of progress. So the traditional human rights are what we would now call civil and political rights. So they are the rights to assemble, the right to a fair trial within your own country, rather than commenting on what's going on overseas. So right to a fair trial, 
right to freedom of expression, right to assemble. In other words, you can get a group of people together. What we're doing is expressing the right of free opinion and we're criticising the Australian government. So they are traditional civil and political rights. And then in the 19th century, we see this movement towards having economic and social and cultural rights. So that means work with pay, equal pay for equal work, the right to education, and that again picked up steam after World War II in the international sphere. So it was beginning to take root in the domestic sphere after World War II and the experience with Hitler. You then get the international human rights documents covering not only civil and political rights, but also economic, social and cultural rights. It's all part of that broader revolution. And then the next stage is for governments to monitor what those different types of human rights mean by looking at other countries. You've obviously got to lift the game in your own country, but you've also got to monitor what is happening overseas. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about, uh, well, quite a worrying slide in human rights uh, in the last, well, I know it's been happening particularly since COVID, probably the last couple of years yeah. though as well, Keith, and, and the and the way in which that is happening. So something, for example, like Burma that has been splashed all over the news the last few months with, you know, um, monks predominantly peacefully yeah. protesting against this, the regime, the, the um, military that have come mm. in and got rid of the president. There doesn't seem to be any sense from the military in charge now. Uh, there's no remorse. They're not changing their ways. They don't nope. seem to be responding to any sort of pressure either. No, but I, I think that the, something will snap in Burma or Myanmar. I think that the military remembered how things were done at the end of the 1980s and how they were able to reassert themselves on the political system. And then we've had this campaign led by Dor Aung San Suu Kyi, which resulted a few years ago in the military agreeing to have a better system of elections and her political party did well. And at the end of last year, when we had a new set of elections, her party did brilliantly and that terrified the military. So the military got out the old textbook of how do you organise a military coup. The problem for the military this time round is, is the impact of social media. There were not, in those late 80s, they were not the social media systems that we've now got or the mobile phones. And, all, and the internet and the fact that you can record something on your mobile phone and upload it to an international audience with the speed of light. So this has been part of the military, that they're operating on an old textbook and the rest of the world has moved on. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. They're gradually ratcheting up the pressure on the young demonstrators, incredibly brave individuals. We've had a few hundred people now killed in Burma by the military. But the young campaigners are determined to keep moving. Now, it seems to me that, again, governments have got their own obligations. In the case of Australia, we've got to make sure that we're not providing any military aid to the, the Burmese military. We should make sure the Burmese military don't get a chance to buy properties here in Australia. There is a, an interesting piece of American legislation, and we're looking at how we can create a similar version in this country, whereby a government can actually confiscate the investments of a foreign citizen in your own country if you think that citizen's involved in human rights violations, such as Putin's uh, colleagues, etc. 
So that already exists in the United States, and we are now pressing to have that similar legislation. At the moment, it's bogged down on some parliamentary committee in Canberra. But we should have that sort of legislation here, which would then authorise the Australian government to seize the assets of the Burmese military who have parked their assets in, in Australia. And, and we are one of the havens, apparently. People love to put their money here, Keith, right. which is the which one of the issues driving this. We turn a blind eye. Not quite as bad as the British, who are appalling. They're appallingly blind. Uh, but, yes, we, you know, we welcome foreign investment, including from... A Russian mafia and Burmese generals, et cetera, Indonesian generals, yeah. And this is, I reckon, that's a, that's an episode in itself because we can go into that Russia and how it all happened because what's the name of it again? I mean, Magnitsky Act. Yes, it's yeah. fascinating. I remember reading yeah. a story on it years ago. Yeah. But I would just think, Keith, back on the topic of um, using social media these days and the fact that people have got phones, wouldn't that be putting pressure on those who would commit human rights abuses because there is so much available information that depicts it now? And they can then close down the internet. But if they close down the internet, they wreck their own government offices. Yeah. So the Burmese military have closed down the internet, but then they've realised that uh, they can't get the trains to run or whatever because they've just closed down the internet. So that, that makes it even more difficult for the military to cope with this new era. But then what about other governments around the world, the same sort of thing, where you've got phones now that can can show if you sort of shoot someone in the street or, yeah. you know, that you crack down on minority groups and there's there are cameras everywhere. Exactly. So, so And this is something which we looked at a few weeks ago. Remember John Fasman's book, um, looking at the complexity of everybody now having a mobile phone. On the one hand, this technology of repression means that you can monitor your own citizens. But on the other hand, it also means your citizens can monitor your own police. As we've seen, of course, with the police brutality in the United States, where it's all captured now on mobile phones. So it's a double-edged sword. So the government can use technology to clamp down on public opinion, but at the same time, the general public can use this as a way of saying, look at the brutal behaviour of our own government. I might just say on on the whole issue of uh, police brutality in the United States that China has now got into the act of publishing an annual survey of human rights. What? No, (laughs) no one could possibly take that seriously. Exactly. Uh, So China has released its own report. This is according to the Sufain Centre, which is uh, based in, um, in, in Washington. China has also released its own report into American human rights. They did that in late March, remember? So you get you get the Chinese report one week and then a week later you get the American report. So they were preempting the American report and they've highlighted US police brutality, gun violence and the failure of the US government to respond to the pandemic. So the Chinese are in effect saying, we're not going to continue all this argument over the issues of Xinjiang and the, the Muslim Uyghurs and, and other minority groups, that debate will continue. But what we're doing is turning the spotlight on you, the United States, showing that, in fact, if you live in glass houses, you shouldn't throw stones. And that's clearly what the Chinese are doing here. Now, the Chinese report did not get, at least in Australia, the level of uh, publicity that the US report gets of naturally and i can't imagine that any us uh, sorry any australian immigration official is going to uh, use the chinese report 
as a way of assessing global human rights and the way that they use the American report. But nonetheless, it's interesting to see how the Chinese are getting in on the same game. They're paying the Americans back in their own coin. So if you can't beat them, join them. (laughs) (laughs) But it also emphasises how human rights are now front and centre, right? So again, I go back to 1933, 1939, Hitler's mistreatment of the Jews and the failure of all governments, including our own, Australia's, to criticise what Hitler was doing. And now everybody is criticising everybody else. So human rights are very much front and centre. Yep, I know that sometimes you get uh, countries slide back. In the case of Myanmar, for example, which you touched on, which um, a few years ago seemed to be doing quite well, and of course has just slid back in the last uh, three months. But overall, the trend is quite clear. There's a clear trend line that the international protection of human rights is becoming more and more of an important issue. It's much more front and centre. And I think that it's worthwhile for people to get their heads around uh, the monitoring of the global human rights situation because there's just so much going on now in that field. Dr Keith is always enlightening. Thank you. Listener.